This time of the year, we think about the name, the title, Emmanuel, more than often than we do typically the rest of the year. Emmanuel means God with us, straight from the Hebrew. And I thought it would be fascinating to dwell on that theme, that topic tonight. God with us. This has been stirring around in my mind over the past month. Uh, I was just preparing lessons for youth group on Christmas, and I just I came across this in the scriptures, this idea of God's presence with his people, God dwelling with his people. And you probably aren't surprised to find that it finds itself more in more places than just Isaiah 7 and Matthew 1, where the name Emmanuel is used. So I thought tonight, let's spend a little time dwelling on it, dwelling on the significance of God with his people. And let's dwell on that by tracing through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation where we see that theme. Now, don't worry, this is not a two-hour sermon. We will be out of here before Christmas Day. (laughs) Built a big buffer in there for sure. But as we think about it from Genesis to Revelation, we see this theme carried on, and there are a few major bumps along the way with God dwelling with his people, but we could begin all the way back to Genesis when God created everything. He spoke all things into existence in six 24-hour consecutive days, and boom, there it was, just as God had created it. God, in Genesis 1.27, we know that he says that he would make man. He says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And then a couple verses later, as God looks at all of creation, he says, it says that, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. That's the snapshot from the beginning, when God made everything, and it was good. There was no sin, And in fact, there was a harmonious relationship between God and mankind that he had made. But it doesn't take long, you know the Bible story, it doesn't take long until we get to Genesis 3 and we come across the fall. In Genesis 3, we read of Adam and Eve rebelling against God's command, being deceived by the serpent, yet choosing to dive into depravity. Sin and death came into the world as Adam and Eve rebelled and ate from the tree they were not supposed to. And now that close and harmonious relationship, that dwelling with God at the beginning that was good, has, had been broken. What was once good and peaceful became broken. In fact, you see the, the tension that is created in Genesis 3.8. Right after the fall, we read in Genesis 3.8, says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God, this is Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid themselves. What was once very good is now broken, and they knew, they knew it was broken. And yet, interestingly, God still came to them but there were consequences for that. In fact, in Genesis 3, on, we see that Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden, no longer to dwell there. What was once peaceful is full of enmity. The fall, at that moment, it brought separation. It brought separation between the holy God and now unholy man, sinful man. 
And so from Genesis 3, we have a dilemma, we have a problem. Mankind now needs someone to fix this problem, this problem that separates the holy God from unholy man. And that separation is grieving. We feel it today, we know it today, we see the effects of it even to this day. You think about how grieving it is when something, when you are with someone or with something and it is delightful and good and then it's taken away, it's sad. Children, you might have had a favorite toy, a favorite stuffed animal, and you love that stuffed animal and then all of a sudden it goes missing. It's such a sad moment. Where is it? Turn the house upside down. We gotta find it. Well, the fall is sad too. What was once good and harmonious is now broken. But, but, it doesn't end there. Because in Genesis 3.15, while God pronounces the curses against the serpent, the woman, and the man, we read a snapshot in this, this little glimmer of hope where God says to the, to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So we have this problem created and yet a glimmer of hope that someone will come to fix it. And it is amazing that God is the one that in initiates that glimmer of hope. It wasn't man. Man couldn't fix himself. The major chasm, you could say, between God and man needed to be bridged, but the problem is that man himself cannot bridge it, he cannot cross that chasm. And so we're all in desperate need of help from God if we're going to be reconciled back to God in that harmonious relationship. But in Genesis 3.15, God gave that first indication that someone would fix that. And so the Bible, uh, biblical history keeps moving forward. Though God could have wiped everything away at the fall, it keeps moving forward because as we'll hear, he had a plan. It was all part of a plan. And as history continued to unfold, we see that God still desired to dwell with his people. He still desired it. In fact, he initiated it. We read that God initiated a relationship with a covenant even with a man named Abraham, a pagan whom he called out of a pagan land. And he, calling him out, he would make his line great and the families of the earth would be blessed through his line, one who would come through his line. But we know the people of Abraham ended up in captivity in Egypt. And so you think, okay, well, sinful man, holy God, it would make sense that he leaves them there. But he doesn't. He doesn't leave them there. He rescues from captivity. He rescues his people from captivity in Egypt. He makes a covenant with them and he dwells among them. He dwells among them via the tabernacle or what would later become the temple. He says in Exodus 25, 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God initiating what it takes to be near his people. And so as Israel left Egypt, they were led by God through the wilderness and eventually into the promised land. And the Lord led them. So he was with them to lead them. He dwelled with them in his tabernacle just as he desired it to be 
In fact, we read in Leviticus, believe it or not, Leviticus 26, says, I will make my dwelling among you. I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. God desires to be near his people and the people should desire to be near their God. But even God dwelling among his people, abiding with them in the tabernacle points to the ongoing issue of sin that separates. See, where God manifests his presence is holy ground. And in the tabernacle, in the hidden away furthest back point was the Holy of Holies that had a large curtain blocking its view and it was said that in the Holy of Holies is where God dwelled. But there was a large curtain that blocked anyone from just going in there, whoever wanted to, or from even seeing in there. And so, even though God was near his people, the problem of sin that separates was still there. If man was going to abide with God unhindered, someone still needed to fix the sin problem. In fact, then he would give promises. The Lord himself would give promises and prophesy that he will save his people, he will deal with that sin problem, and he will dwell with them forever. We think of Isaiah 7, 14. We, we hear this passage often throughout the Christmas time. It says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. There's our key word, Emmanuel, God with us. And so this tells us, God was telling his people through the prophet Isaiah that there would be a son supernaturally born who in fact would be God himself. He would come to his people, he would dwell with his people, but we will learn that he wouldn't just abide with them. In fact, he would do that and he would remedy the peril of holy justice meeting sinful man. Because sin must be dealt with. It must be dealt with. And then we get to the New Testament. We read of Galatians 4 saying, at the fullness of time, at the fullness of time, at the exact time that God intended, he sent his son. Why? Well, he sent his son to redeem his people. John 1.14 gives us a glimpse into the amazing nature of this son being sent. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is this word? Well, this word is Jesus. In Matthew 1, 21 through 23, it says this about him in the account of his birth that we'll look at more tomorrow morning. It says of Mary that she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. He will save them from their sins. That was the big problem, right? 
We need to be saved from sin. But then it goes on. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This will sound familiar. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus, the one who would save his people from their sins, who would remedy that problem, is God himself who dwells with his people. Jesus is Emmanuel, and he will always be Emmanuel. He will always be God with us, the transcendent deity God, and yet the God who draws near. Now, this is huge. Remember the problem we just talked about, all the way from Genesis. The problem that separates holy God and unholy man. Now Jesus has come to solve that problem. And in his amazing grace and his amazing love, he comes to his rebellious people. And he provides the necessary atonement, the substitutionary atonement for them. He himself is that substitutionary atonement. He came to dwell with us to die for us. And by his appearing, when Jesus was born, by his appearing, the linchpin, the linchpin, the central part of God's plan of redemption was set into motion. When Jesus came The plan of the gospel was set on fast track and the main thing that needed to be done was done. To rightfully dwell forever with his people, unimpeded by sin and separation, the cross and the resurrection must take place. It must happen. And Jesus' first arrival that we sing about this time of the year accomplishes that. It actually accomplishes that. And his death satisfies God's holy, just wrath and then removes the veil that kept us from having access to God. That, that curtain that was in the temple was torn in two and so now man through Jesus can come to God, can be reconciled to him. They don't have to go through some priest or sacrificial system. We have direct access to God through Jesus. And his resurrection gives us new life. It secures us in him. So thou now, so now, Emmanuel is our mediator. He's the one who dwells with us and the one who intercedes for us. And we must repent and trust in him. There's no other way for that sin that impedes a reconciliation to God. There's no other way for it to be dealt with. It is only through Christ alone. And yet he doesn't just do what is necessary to have our sins forgiven. So we're free to go. But now he abides with us forever. In fact, he would say in the Great Commission that he is always with us to the end of the age. But you may think, okay, wait, 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 time out. Didn't Jesus ascend to the Father? We read that in Acts, right? He ascended to the Father, and so like he's not physically here. We don't look and say, hey, there's Jesus right there. No, he instead sent his spirit. He sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. 
Listen to Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 about this. It says, in him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He doesn't just dwell outside of us, around us, near us. He now dwells by his spirit in us. We are sealed with him. That means that relationship that is now reconciled to God is permanent because God himself made it permanent. As the Holy Spirit then abides in us, we're changed to be more and more like our Lord, more and more like Christ. And then as we're changed by his dwelling presence within us, that then overflows and impacts the rest of the world. As we live a Christ-like, in a Christ-like manner, as we go and make disciples, it first begins with us being changed, though, because he dwells within us. And where God dwells, righteousness and holiness prevails. And he is working that out within us. But it doesn't just stop there. It gets better. It gets so much better. Because see, at the end of the age, when we make it all the way to the book of Revelation, we read about the end of the age where Emmanuel will return. He will return and the whole world will be changed. It was changed drastically. The course of all of history was changed drastically at his first coming. You wait till his second coming. All the world will be changed even more drastically. And for the better. Because he will once and for all deal with that serpent and cast him into the lake of fire. He will once and for all wipe away all sin that it will no longer be present in his reigning kingdom in the new heavens and new earth. There will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more effects of the fall. And, and what I really look forward to is no more flesh sin that I still wrestle with and get tripped up over. That will be perfectly done too. It will be perfectly sanctified. We call that glorified. If you are trusting in Christ, you will be glorified. Emmanuel will return and we will dwell with him forever just actually as he had intended and planned from eternity past. It was all part of the plan. Look, you read, you get to the end, Revelation 21.3, and you read about this new heaven and new earth that is to come. And as I read this, listen to those key words that we've been talking about. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will dwell, he, he will come to us. Unless we die, pass away before then, then we'll go to be with him until this time. But at this point, we will, he will come to us. We will dwell with him. He will dwell with us. It will be sweet. It will be good. It will change everything. And all that which would separate us from God will now forever be gone. We'll never be separated from him. 
We will be in his presence forever. No more pain, no more sin, no more death, no more effects of the fall. And the best part of all of that is we will actually be with God. We get God. That's the good news of the gospel is we get God. We were reconciled so that we can now approach him, be with him, enjoy him, delight in him, live for him. Because he initiated first to save us sinners. The one who loved and died for us is the one who will finally come to us and make all things new. And so children, you remember the, we thought, talked about how sad it is when we lose our favorite toy, our, our, our favorite stuffed animal, it's so sad. However, when we find it, it's so exciting. We just grip onto it so tightly. Well, it'll be so exciting and so full of joy when we actually get to be with our Lord. The perfect dwelling between God and man that was broken at the fall, but, but it was restored by God himself who came, was born, born to save us, born to die so that we would never die. We would have eternal life. That harmonious and holy dwelling is only possible because of Emmanuel, only possible because of Jesus and what he has done through the gospel. We don't just celebrate the coming of Jesus at Christmas, being born a baby. We do celebrate that, but that's not all of it. We celebrate even more so what God has done in his redemptive plan to eternally abide with us. Christmas brings the Savior. Christmas brings the Messiah. Christmas brings God to undeserving sinners. And may we turn and trust in Emmanuel. Let us praise him today and tomorrow and then forever. Let us praise him today. Let us be full of joy knowing God will be with us forever and one day we will physically be in his presence. May the, may the nearness of our God, that will never go away. May it be sweet to us. May it fill our hearts and our minds with peace and joy this Christmas season. Let's pray. Father, we, oh, we thank you so much. We thank you for what you have done to save sinners, to reconcile us, to bring us to that harmonious, peace, peaceful relationship that though we are sinners deserving nothing but wrath, you have shown amazing grace by sending the Lamb to die so that now there is no more sin to impede us being with you forever. May our dwelling on the name Emmanuel, what it means, fill our hearts with delight. And may, I pray that, Lord, it would just fill us so much that we couldn't help telling other people about him. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.